Welcome to the Staffing RecOps podcast, where we interview leaders from high-volume staffing and recruitment firms on the operations, strategy and business processes that they've implemented or are implementing. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcoming to the show today, our first guest, Chris Howe. Chris, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning, James, and a privilege to be your first guest. Well, thank you very much. Chris is Operations Director for a high-volume blue-collar labour solutions provider to the logistics, food and manufacturing sectors. The company is called Staffing Match, a national labour provider with a head office in Watford, London in the United Kingdom. Chris has been with Staffing Match since June 2019, but actually has more than two decades worth of experience having started his career as an operations manager for another staffing organisation in the summer of 1999. Staffing Match operates UK-wide but also just now launching in the USA and Germany. Chris, thanks again for taking the time to be here. I'm really interested to learn what it takes to run an organisation of your size, operating now across multiple countries, circa 2,500 temporary workers out on assignment at any given time, if I understood correctly from our prior conversation, and particularly as it relates to the topics we're looking to address on the podcast this quarter, those being onboarding, retention and reskilling. Chris, what does that look like in your world? Yeah, thanks, James. Um, I suppose if I, I mean, like you mentioned, I've I've been in this uh, industry for over twenty years now, and, and and seen it's been almost a bit of a roller coaster, really. Into if you look at economically and politically, uh, I won't be getting too deep in the political side of things for for, for this particular um, podcast. But um, yeah, it, it I think it's been quite turbulent in terms of uh, if I go back to when I started in ninety nine. Um, there was quite a considerable war that drove a lot of migration, um, a lot of uh, refugees and asylum seekers that were seeking employment. And and if I think about then um, when we first entered into the EU, uh, obviously we are no more part, no more part of that setup. But the the whilst uh, and I'm going to talk about onboarding, whilst uh, the onboarding processes, um, which I want to talk a little bit more about on the on the podcast, are, are, are vitally important. Um, we've seen sort of almost a, a little bit of a feast and famine in terms of labour availability. Um, you know, when the when the gates open for the EU, uh, I'm going to be brutally honest with you, and I'm sure people listening to this podcast in in my sector will agree that the job became quite easy for us and for our customers. We had an abundance of quality labour, uh, intelligent people, initially from Poland. Um, onboarding was straightforward. We had uh, a, a flood of people looking for work. The calibre and quality of those people was fantastic. Uh, KPIs that my teams would then be needing to deliver for our customers were met almost with our eyes closed, and the job was quite easy. <laughs> and, and bizarrely, the, the margins were stronger in them days as well, you know. So, 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 and then of course we've we've had a roller coaster of of I, I use that word for from an economic and political perspective. Uh, financial crashes, uh, sort of in sort of back end of well, so around two thousand and eight, that was quite a painful time. And of course, uh, the temporary labour sector is 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 often it's the one at the coal face. It's the one that customer you customers use for their flexibility. It's the one that that will often get hit first when we have economic issues uh, and political challenges. And by default, it's the one that generally will bounce back quite quickly and be the first one that needs to react 
uh, when those conditions change. Um, I'll talk predominantly about the UK. You, you've rightly mentioned, James, we've we've just relaunched a, a presence in Germany. Uh, that business is, is predominantly uh, supporting the aviation sector. Um, the US is a, is a new venture uh, this year, and, and that's just in its... It's just been launched as we speak um, with, uh, and, and that market's quite considerably different to the UK. Um, margins are really strong. And I would say from a day-to-day supply and service perspective, I would say that they are maybe not quite as mature as, as, as the UK market and the expectations of customers in the UK. So if I start thinking about, specifically about uh, onboarding, uh, and I'll, I'll run through those, those agenda points, uh, James, as we go through. Um, onboarding's uh, it's a crucial part of what we do, and I guess it's effectively, in, in my opinion, is the is, is probably one of the most important parts of our service to our customers. There's a lot more we give, a lot, a lot more that a lot of my competitors will will offer to customers, but fundamentally, we are a recruitment business. So onboarding's um, uh, it, it, it's it, it's it's a process that needs to be done at pace when you are dealing with high volume volatile customers whether they're in the retail sector um e-commerce particularly you know the demands have been quite high over the last couple of years and and we've seen a need to onboard you know there's these hundreds of people a week um get them onboarded inducted trained and good to go within a customer's operation now the way that we've approached that as a business over the last two years and through COVID, I mean, the pandemic uh, for, for every business meant that we had to make a lot of adjustments, uh, a lot of changes to, to the way we operate, um, a move to more uh, use of technology, a, use, a move towards more remote resourcing methods. Um, and because the business has got a national spread, we, we, we um, invested quite heavily in a central resourcing function. Uh, now this consisted of, of, of people braced, based inside bricks and mortar. It also had people that were working remotely um, because they needed to uh, at, at home. Um, now that, that that worked to a degree and it delivered in terms of the volumes that we had to deliver for customers through COVID. We do a lot of work in the e-commerce retail sector, fashion logistics and um, that went berserk through the pandemic um, purely because people couldn't go to shops. Um, now that central resourcing function, pff, crikey, over the course of the pandemic will have, will have, will have recruited and, and attracted circa nine to 10,000 people. Um, so, so were you, were you starting to implement automation and pushing, pushing back on the candidate as part of that process for onboarding or? I think the, um, the, the, the process, um, we, we had to we had to work differently you know t- traditionally a recruitment business would uh, invite people to come to either there it'll be a branch or it'll be an on-site location where you've got a, a sort of an on-site managed service and and but with the central resourcing function that was a, a sort of a a way for us to make sure that we could deliver the volume for our customers whilst um we had could keep relevant controls I think what one of the challenges that we've seen with that, and we've just we're just now in the process and have just uh, we've sort of reduced our reliance on a central resourcing function, and we've now moved to more of a traditional model, uh, where our account teams out in the field are responsible for their own onboarding, their own pre-screening, their own recruitment, and also then once those people have been onboarded, they they look after them when they're when they're with the customer, uh, and and the reason. So for sorry, that, is, it, oh, is that still internal people, but on client side, or is that? 
that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, they that'd be an on-site managed service, James, where where a customer could be using hundreds of people on a daily basis. We'll have a, 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 a an account management team on that site, um, responsible for the onboarding and ongoing management and control and performance management of those individuals, particularly in the logistics uh, sector. Um, so we have then chosen to migrate back to to more of a traditional model uh, and, and the reason for that we we, we analyzed a lot of data uh, and, and and the key thing from if you if you think about onboarding the the key thing uh, james is that we want to make sure that when we onboard in volume you know the retention of those people is crucial uh, for not not just for ourselves because it costs a hell of a lot of money to recruit people nowadays job boards are not cheap uh, marketing activity doesn't come free um and for our customers particularly, if there is a churn through those onboarding processes, the cost of training and the and the cost of productivity and the cost of inefficiency, you know, the numbers that we talk to some of our customers about is incredible. So that's really really important that we get that onboarding process right. And, and we've started to look now. Uh, we we've we've looked at different forms of technology and different forms of of, of of different platforms that we can use to make that end-to-end process for our our people and our teams as efficient and as straightforward as, as, as possible and and is there also so the, there's the data aspect getting the information you need but are you doing things around the, the personal element as well yeah and i think it's quite interesting at the moment what you see in the market james there's a lot of a lot of huge push now in terms of technology and innovation now i've been i've been doing this job for over over 20 years it's people ultimately so whilst we see i definitely see a a a need uh, and a and a use for technology 100% we can't distract from the fact that we are still dealing with people so i think that the technology is needs to sit alongside uh, our our the, the human part of our business i i, I would never you know, we'd never want to lose that because i think that's vitally important um, however, because of the volumes that we need to recruit, if we can find ways of making that more efficient, so at least then we deselect the people that we don't deem to be suitable, and then we then the human aspect kicks in of where we're then engaging with these people to make sure that we're suitable for the roles that we have. We take them through the relevant onboarding processes that are, that, that are agreed with our customers. Then, then that, from my perspective, I, I, you know that human element, it, it's never going to disappear. And, and you mentioned about the sectors uh, that we work with. We do a lot of work in logistics, e-commerce, aviation is is a sizable chunk of our business, um, and that then starts to dance around a lot more uh, aviation legislation and, and and aviation requirements, security requirements, which make the onboarding process. The need is it's not just arms and legs. That is about a really thorough. And forensic onboarding process because part of our job then is to manage and identify risk in that aviation supply chain so 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 the onboarding process there just takes on a, a little bit more as well when we look at that sector um we also we, we saw this as as we came out of lockdown didn't we all the airports it was difficult they, they'd let a load of people go and then it was it took a while to get people back because of, I guess the compliance and getting yeah. people skilled up again. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it, it, it's been so. Aviation was it was like a like a deck of cards uh, at the start of the pan- pandemic. It was email after email coming through to us to say that we we just don't need these people anymore. Um, the retail sector took off, so it was a uh, you know the fact we've got a, a healthy mix across the business really helped us through the pandemic. 
Of course, since the pandemic, uh, we've then had a huge focus on building headcount for our customers within aviation again. And the blocker there is compliance because it, it's not a quick fix. It isn't an overnight thing. It's, as I say, it's quite a, an in-depth forensic process that we have to go to to get those people in a fit place. Um, what I'm seeing now uh, in preparation for, for 2023, and I, I, I was with a couple of customers last week, uh, one in Gatwick and one in Heathrow, is that you know they're in a fitter state this year as far as we're concerned from a labour perspective. And it's now about skill. It's now not just about, you know, getting the right number of people through that process. It's now about, okay, so we've got the people. Now we need to retain them and keep them happy in aviation. Um, and also we need to now make sure that we work with the customer to develop their skill base to offer more value inside those airports and as part of the the, the, the airline supply chain. So, so. So, so are your clients investing in the temporary labour workforce that they get from you in terms of upskilling for retention? Yes, yes. So it'll be, they'll be, their approach will be, or well, first and foremost, they will feel, they are feeling more comfortable to develop and build their core headcount again. Of course, there is still in the back of everybody's mind, what if, <laughs> what if there is another pan- pandemic, you know, what if this cost of living crisis start to have more of an impact on people taking vacations and holidays? So there is still a degree of nervousness. So on that basis, that means that we will still carry our headcount because that's still they've got that flexibility for the what if, um, but then investing in those individuals to develop and to be able to do more work for them, you know, and, and offer more skill and more value um, as well. And, and where and where then we've got this sort of we are seeing pretty strong retention in aviation at the moment. It seems that people are more comfortable. Where we have a challenge is if. Other sectors, should, such as retail, e-com, logistics, whatever it may be, food manufacturing, if they then start to see a real need in their sector, and then we start to see the the sort of the the chase for pay, because that's been over. I mean, it, it will always be something that 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 we have to consider with our customers. But you know, we we've seen some crazy, crazy hourly pay rates uh, being uh, being offered over the last two or three years for peak trading seasons and and that's where there's a risk because the last thing we want to be doing is upskilling people within let's I'll, I'll all the different sectors but if we just say for aviation the last thing then we want to see is then we've got the 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 the, the, uh, the pay rate uh, com- competition which then means that people get distracted and potentially leave the sector um, we're not seeing it at the moment um and of course with cost of living we're seeing quite considerable differences and this is less in terms of uh, volumes within a lot of our retail customers i was with a a big 3pl you know the the, the this this customer spends 100 million pound plus on agency labor and january 23 to january 22 their agency spend is down by 37 to 42% depending on which part of the business we look at which is quite interesting um does mean right now there is there's availability. Do, do, Ooh, sorry, do you know don't. why? Why is that spend down? It just people are not spending money. A lot of these a lot of these sites are feeding into retail um, and fashion logistics, particularly, and they are people are not spending the money. So the volumes of those customers is a lot lower. So this is where we're seeing a real impact from the cost of living crisis. People are tightening the purse strings, and 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 we're not seeing that level of spend. Um, there is an anticipation that going through now as 
well, spring sprung yesterday. We sprung forward, and and as we go through the next two to three months and seasons change, there's a hope and an anticipation that we're going to see some volumes, some stronger volumes coming through. But yeah, it's quite interesting to see. For quarter one, you know, volumes have been a lot lower than everyone would have liked and expected, certainly in retail. So, that that two and a half thousand temps that you have out at any given time, mm. how, how has that number changed over recent time? So, uh, lower a lower entry point coming into the start of the year. That's and that's because of retail. But we're now seeing we we we're now gearing up and have been gearing up for uh, summer for aviation. Of course, the summer months. We've got to, we'll have a spike now as we, we go through Easter and then as we start to build for summer, uh, there'll be an increase in volumes there. So it's almost as like a little little pendulum. And then what we'll see, we generally see some activity across the summer months within retail and fashion where there's a lot of, there's a change in seasons, there's, there's promotion of sale activity. And of course, then we get to the traditional Q4. Uh, the this this year that we have a, a new trend with Black Friday and Cyber Weekend and of course traditional Christmas, uh, and then we'll start to see aviation tail off slightly, and then our retail business and logistics and driving will start to then really gear up for that Q4 peak that we see. And, and with the the workforce, the actual workers that you place, how how much um, crossover is there between the the different sectors that you cover in terms of where you can place people? Do, do you have people that you will place into every sector depending on where the work is? Yeah, I mean, it, it would need to be done geographically. Um, we have, we, I mean, we have actually migrated labour around the country when needed before, but I, I don't think the market is, it's not that tight at the moment. I, I believe there is available labour at this point in time of a suitable quality. Um, but yes, we have customers. If I look at Heathrow, for example, you know, we've got customers that feed into the airline supply chain. Uh, but the labour they, they would utilise could quite easily support us in a lot of our sort of other logistics and, and retail customers in that part of the world. So, And we did actually do that, James, um, you know, throughout the pandemic and, and off the back of it, as we because as we saw that pendulum change, rather than having to recruit and onboard new people, if we can use the people that are already with us and on our database, that's just such a cost-effective way for us then to move our labour for the benefit of our other customers, really, so... Do you see a lot of longevity from people that work through staffing match? Is that something you measure? Yeah, I think that, that so tip it. So our average length of service, if we look across the business, is around eight weeks. Um, we have a lot of customers that are using regular, ongoing, high numbers of, of labour. We do a lot of work with our customers to really challenge uh, attrition or retention, which, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, whether that's pay, you know, and, and it's often the first place that you go, but it's got you know the, the our, our workers live week to week, hand to mouth, so so pay will always be important. But it's not just about that; it, it's working with our customers to then think about okay, well, what is the offer? Is it a fixed term contract? You know, what else can we give to them? What what other thing? What 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 makes this a a, a place to work? I mean, I mean, I was with a customer the early part of last week in Heathrow, uh, just for a site tour. This is aviation at work again, and it's not a glamorous operation, far from it, but they have brilliant retention. We have people that we've had to let go at Q4 that just are sitting waiting to go back to work in that particular customer, and it was quite surprising because face value, it was a cold, quite drab operation, but actually the way they are treated and engaged by the customer's management team was brilliant, and, and that's one of the big things that I see, and it's one of the big topics I have with customers and I have done now for for years is that you know 
agency workers, in my opinion, are so important for a lot of these customers' operations. And, and up until, I'd say, maybe eight, ten years ago, the responsibility for agency labour often sat, sat quite far down the food chain. But more and more now, um, I encourage uh, customers to, to hold that accountability at director level. So at least it's a top to top accountability because if you're spending five, ten, twenty five, however much more on agency labour, you know, that's it's a huge cost and often it's sort of number one or number two cost for a lot of our customers outside of materials um and equipment. So so yes, so 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 vitally important that we have good relationships with our customers, strategic relationships with our customers. They take the relationship seriously at the right level, and it's not just about pay, but everything else that we can then think about to put on the table to make their them as a business and and us as a labour provider, uh, you know, a, a, an employer of choice and a, and and the place to be essentially. So. Do you think your workers, the workforce that Staffing Match plays, do they see themselves as working for Staffing Match or do they see themselves as working for the client or do you think it's a mixture of the two? Yeah, that's quite interesting. I would say it's a mixture of the two and it comes back to what I've just said, James, because if if a customer has our people at arm's length, say, for, for want of a slightly better phrase, maybe they'd see themselves employed more by ourselves. Where uh, I have a team based on a customer's premises, a staffing match uniformed team, then I would say that they probably feel as much employed by staffing match as they do by our end user. But I would always... The utopia for myself is that they recognise that staffing match are their employer, first and foremost, but I want them to feel almost employed they're not technically employed by our end user, and that's something we have to mitigate from a co-employment perspective. But I want them to feel part of that team because if they do, and what we see is that that really helps in terms of retention. It costs us so much money to recruit and onboard people nowadays. It costs the customer a ridiculous amount of money if they keep losing people and churning people. So I would say that that retention is a hot topic, and it's really important that that isn't just an agency responsibility. That is a collective agency customer and all the relevant stakeholders responsibility to make sure that we we treat these people fairly we give them the right guidance and training they're paid correctly you know that's probably the most important thing we need to do and and they're treated well and i think if we can do that and collect you know in a partnership with our with our customers then what we see is we we definitely see better results without a doubt Chris, I feel like we're only just scratching the surface. Rightly or wrongly, I decided on a 25 to 30 minute format for this podcast. Uh, I feel like we could carry on talking for for ages. I I do have two last questions before we finish, please. The first is, are there any places that you look in your profession for guidance in terms of strategy? Are, Are you a member of any professional body, for example? Yeah, so, so I've personally, um, I've done a lot of work sort of training as a coach and actually being coached um that's a personal thing which helps me in my day-to-day function as a business we have all the relevant uh you know normal accreditations we're 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 part of the rec recruitment employment confederation the alp um who are particularly helpful in terms of the sort of day-to-day do's and don'ts as far as labor provision is concerned and strategically you know as a collective the board will sit i mean the the board of the business Crikey, most have worked for for sort of large nationals, large international businesses before. So 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 there's quite a lot of expertise around the table as well. Um, 
and I've I've used I have used an external consultant myself before, which has been specifically for business strategy. Um, so so yeah, there's quite a lot of avenues we explore, really, really, James. So, so the REC, of course, I know the Re- Recruitment Employment Confederation. Sorry, ALP. I'm not sure I've heard of that one. That's the Association of Labour Providers. They're, they're they're quite strongly affiliated to the the GLAA. Um, so um, born out of the food sector, very very focused on modern day slavery, uh, which is important to us because we want to make sure that we support um, negating as uh, labour exploitation and, and modern day slavery. Um, and yeah, quite a helpful body to be honest. Quite a helpful body to make sure we are, you know, ticking all the right boxes and, and following the correct processes to, from from a from a modern day slavery perspective as well. My last question was going to be, do you connect with peers in your industry to discuss strategy and best practices? I was thinking sort of at a, a, a linear level with you. you. You've kind of half answered that. Talking about um, coaching, I find it's quite quite interesting. Is, is that a common thing, do you think, within your field? Do you think most operations people will look at coaching? Maybe. Uh, you know, there's, 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 there's people out there that may think, you know what, I know it all and nobody can help me. I, I'm not a believer in that. I, I quite like the idea of, of you know, you, you'll sit in a room with three, four, five people. You'll you'll create a conversation. And before you know it, the, the, there's little little light bulbs appearing from here, there and everywhere. And, and, and all of a sudden, there's, there's lots of creative ideas that are coming out on the table. In terms of peers, yeah, I, because I've been in the industry for over a decade, there's a lot of people that I know in the industry. I, I re- in fact, I reached out to a. He's a CEO of a, a competing business. In fact, I used to go to college with him actually, and just leaning on him for a contact that I needed for Germany. Uh, just a little bit of legal support, um, and I was looking for a niche a niche uh, partner to to help with that. Um, made an introduction and off you go, sort of thing. So I think I, I, what I'd say, James, and I, and I, it's probably one of my. It's probably one of my uh, niggles uh, with the sector, but I suppose it's not unique to, to the recruitment sector, is that you know, if you look at your peers, um, whilst you are competitors, you've probably got so much in common with these people because you do the same job. <laughs> you know, you come across the same challenges. You you know, you know, have the same highs and the same sort of lows. So from my perspective, uh, I like the idea that I'm able to stay in touch with people, peers within the sector. Um and you can rattle and bounce some ideas around. Of course, people are not going to try, you know, share what they believe to be their trade secrets or their next big thing. But I, I like the fact that there are certain businesses that I have excellent relationships with, with their senior directors. And we work alongside each other on customer sites. And we've managed to get ourselves to a stage that you know, we, we treat the relationship as a co-opetition. So we're treating this as, well, look, if we fight against each other, which I personally won't do because it's, it's, it just drains the living daylights out of me, the customer doesn't get a benefit. But actually, if we can demonstrate an ability to work together and deliver results for the clients, well, well, well guess what? That, that, can only, that can only be fruitful and prosperous for us both, really. So, so I would say if, if that, that's definitely a mantra of mine, and I've, I've worked with a... I've worked with a lot of different businesses now and, and I've managed to make that succeed. So so that's quite important to me as an individual. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. Um, there is actually one final, final question. <laughs> if I was in operations and I wanted to connect with you, um, you're on LinkedIn. Do you spend much time on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter? Twitter, no. Um, LinkedIn, yes. So I would say from a professional perspective, 
LinkedIn's a good place to start. Um, I do my best to look at what events may be happening. Uh, and that may not necessarily be recruitment events. That may be industry events that I can then attend uh, within sort of the logistics or retail sector or food or whatever it may be. But but certainly from a connection perspective, LinkedIn's a great place to start. Um, and of course, you know, if there's if there's opportunities that are mutually beneficial, anybody that takes the time to listen to the podcast, yeah, reach out to me, give me a nudge and, and, and we can talk. That's awesome. Chris, thank you again so much for your time. All right, good stuff. Thanks, James. Thank you to our listeners. Please like, subscribe and share. And more importantly, let us know if there is someone you would like us to interview on the show and what you would like to hear them talking about. What strategic and or operational changes are you planning to implement in your staffing slash recruitment firm? Lastly, thank you to our sponsor employee providing front and middle office solutions to a range of staffing and recruitment organizations on the Salesforce platform. That's all for today. James Lawton signing out.